your Bibles, if you would, and uh, open up to Romans chapter 8. This morning, we're going to be starting uh, chapter 8 and moving along uh, into the chapter in the next few weeks. Uh, It's fascinating in some ways that uh, we're going to start getting into uh, the chapter of Romans that deals with the Holy Spirit. And if you are in John uh, this morning with the Sunday school class, we're also getting into uh, John chapter 14 and the sections beyond there that start uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, so there's kind of going to be an overlap of some themes, although different things being said in the verses. But it's just exciting to think about in the life of the church. Uh, if you come to Sunday school and morning worship, uh, and we certainly would invite you to Sunday school as well. Uh, we are right now going to be talking uh, quite a bit about the Holy Spirit. So let's read uh, John, uh, not John. Let's read Romans uh, chapter eight this morning, uh, verses one through four. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For the God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for the sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and heavenly father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, uh, your love that you have showed us in Jesus Christ, that you sent uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to in the likeness of sinful flesh so that he might uh, bear our sins in the in his own body. And we thank you uh, that now that Jesus has died and rose again and ascended into heaven, uh, you do not leave us alone, but you send another, uh, another comforter or helper, as the scriptures say, uh, the Holy Spirit. And so we do ask that the Holy Spirit would be present. We do ask that that the Holy Spirit would would attend to the ministry of the word today and speak into our hearts and and even just we praise you for that blessed uh, union and communion we have with the Father and the Son uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. We just uh, praise you for that. Give me the words to say uh, from this passage of your uh, precious holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to ask a question this morning, and that is simply this. What do we have in Christ I think sometimes in, in the Christian life we can get going and sometimes things are going smoothly. Other times things are, are not going so smoothly in our lives. Uh, but it can be easy to kind of forget what we have in Christ. It can be easy to not keep at the forefront of our minds what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we've been moving along in Romans chapter 7 and we've been talking about uh, the role of the law. We've been talking already about how the law was powerless, how when God gave the law, it didn't defeat sin in our lives, but actually uh, stirred sin up. Uh, we see the command, do not covet, Paul says, and we wouldn't know that it was wrong unless we saw the command. And yet what happens when we get the command? We don't just respond and say, OK, I'm not going to covet. We say, "Ooh, coveting sounds like something that I might be interested in doing. And I continue to use the example of the kid who's told not to sneak cookies from the cookie jar. And it stirs up that uh, desire. You can tell I have an affinity for sneaking cookies myself. 
Uh, and so we move through that passage and we get to this transitional passage with this language of therefore now. Now in Jesus Christ, what is it that we have? So the question we want to be answering this morning is what do we have as believers in Jesus Christ? What are the benefits that come from the cross to us? What is your position right now with God if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? First this morning, in Christ, we have no condemnation. In Jesus Christ, we have no guilt and condemnation for our sins any longer. Amen? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Amen? We are not condemned anymore. The death sentence does not hang over us. Look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This now stands in contrast to what Paul has just been saying. Verse 24 of chapter 7. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of God assures us that we stand Guilty before God. God is the judge. God is the Holy One. God is the One who is perfect in His righteousness. And a perfect judge will judge sin and set creation right. And that means we should be condemned. The law assures us of this. Romans 3.19 Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Did you ever have a situation with one of your kids, or maybe you did this as a kid, where you were pretty much caught and in trouble, and you try to rationalize it? You try to explain it away. Well, 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 well I have a reason for what I did. And, and your parents say, and this happened to me, they just, just stop. Don't even go there. Don't give me your excuses. We know what you did. When we stand before God, our, our mouths are silent. We have no excuses. We cannot say, well, you know, God, I, I didn't know. I, I tried really hard to do the right thing. But you know, it's really hard to follow you. We know what we're not supposed to do. And so we are accountable to God, Romans 3.19, that the whole world may be held accountable before God. And so condemnation in Romans 8.1 is a legal position. You are guilty. The verdict against you has been reached. And Paul says now as a believer, that condemnation that you had, if you are in Jesus Christ, it no longer stands against you. You are not condemned. However, now the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has been freed from guilt and condemnation. The verdict of guilt is removed and taken away. 
Romans 5.1 has a similar transition. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the working of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, and that we receive it through faith that assures us that we have no condemnation. I want you to notice the last half of Romans 8.1. It says, There is now therefore no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, first it means that if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your, your Savior, if you have not believed upon Him as Lord and Savior, you are still guilty of your sins. You still stand condemned. Paul doesn't preach some kind of universalism that because Jesus died, we're all automatically saved. The blood of Jesus Christ needs to be applied to our lives and we receive it through faith and that gift of faith comes through the working of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be, quote, in Christ Jesus? Well, I'll tell you what it obviously doesn't mean. It doesn't mean in in a physical sense. You know how you put food in your belly? We're going to have a fellowship meal and we're going to take in food. That food goes there physically. We are not physically in Jesus, right? Jesus has a physical, glorified, resurrected body that is dwelling in heaven. And yet we have a spiritual connection to Jesus. This language of in Christ or in Jesus or in Christ Jesus, Paul uses it to describe the union that we have with Jesus. The, the connection that we have with Him. So that the blessings that He has won on the cross apply to us just as if we had died and risen there with Him on the cross. So Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Because you are in Him, you are, or excuse me, because of Him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So we have all of these blessings, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Why? Because God has put us now in Jesus Christ. Romans 6.11, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 3, 4, and 5, do you not know all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And then verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. But notice that language. You have been united to Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be in Christ. 
You are connected with Him. You are tethered to Him. You are united with Him. You can think of other imagery in Scripture. You can think of the imagery of the marriage. And, and so we, we celebrate marriage and when two people come together, we describe them as entering into covenant. We describe them as having a union. We know that they are two separate people. But we also know from Scripture that the two become one flesh. And the analogy is in Hebrews uh, chapter, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, that, that Jesus Christ is married to His bride whom He gave Himself up for to wash her and to cleanse her through His shed blood. And so it's a picture of union. You think about how your arms and your legs and your, your neck is, is attached to your head. And you could say that your whole physical body is in union with itself. The molecules are connected. Uh, the bones are connected. Uh, except if you have an ankle brace and you sprain your ankle, your ankle is connected. You have ligaments that are connected there. And that's one of the things they looked for when I sprained my ankle. Are these ligaments still connected? And the analogy in Scripture is what? We are part of the body of Christ. We are connected to Him. We are in union with Him. And so we call it a spiritual body in, in the sense that we are the arms, the feet, the various features, but not obviously part of Jesus' physical body. But this is the analogy that if you place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have come into a union with Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is at work in you to, to bring that union to come to be. He takes the work of Christ and He applies it to you. You simply receive it through faith, but it is the Holy Spirit who makes and solidifies the connection. You are in Christ. And so in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says that our life is hidden in heaven just as Christ is in heaven. That's how closely you are connected to Him. That's how tightly knit your spiritual connection is. If you are husband and wife and one of you travels to the other side of the world, you might not be next to each other physically, but you are still married. You are still in union with your spouse. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. The guarantee of the certainty of no condemnation, the guarantee that it is secure is because of the union that I have with Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't depend upon my strength and my ability. I don't free myself from condemnation. It is not what I have done to God or for God to receive Him that frees me from condemnation. It is what Jesus Christ has done and I have placed faith in Jesus, but I've received Him. I've gotten all these benefits from Him. In that respect, I've done nothing worthy of them. And so I am assured that I have no condemnation, just as Jesus Christ can never die again. He can never be crucified again and never pay for sin again because He's done it one time for all time on the cross and now He's risen again from the dead. So also, I 
can never be eternally condemned and judged for my sin. Because Christ did it. Because Christ took that. And I am so united to Him that just as He can never die again for sin, so I can never die eternally and suffer eternal consequences for my sin. The Heidelberg Catechism and a catechism is just a, a teaching tool that churches have used down through the ages. It's a question and answer kind of tool. It asks this question, question number one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And part of the answer is this, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What is my comfort in this life? What is my comfort in death or when I face death or when I have people around me that die? It is that I have no condemnation. Why? Because I belong to Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation. So apart from being in Christ, I have no blessing of salvation. Apart from being in Christ, I have no gift of righteousness and no freedom. But being in Christ means that I have no condemnation. We've been set free from sin. And this is what it means, again, to have no condemnation. Romans 6.22 But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. But notice that beginning. But now you have been set free free from from sin. It's the same idea that we have no condemnation. How do we apply this? Well, first, Paul is not saying that you will never be troubled by sin. Paul is not saying that you won't struggle with sin. Paul is not saying that you won't feel conviction over your sin. That when you do something wrong, you you don't have to, to feel bad about it. We have this tendency to sometimes take the language of guilt and and psychologize it and say guilt is is what you feel inside. And so we have people that tell us, non-Christians that tell us, you know, stop feeling guilty. That's just a product of a bygone error. You don't need to think that way about yourself. But when you get to passages in Scripture like this, guilt and condemnation is about a standing that you either have or don't have before God. Uh, if I can pun off the song, it's more than a feeling. It's a status. It's that you're not right with God. And there are people that go through this life and they stand condemned, but they feel like they're fine. But there are also times as a Christian where you need to remind yourself that you aren't condemned eternally because you feel in that moment, condemned. There is a rightness to feeling guilt for our sin. There is a rightness to feeling that we did something wrong that is often uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But in those moments that drive you to confess your sins, and rightly so, you do not stand eternally condemned. The Lord Jesus Christ stands as your advocate. 
The imagery from Hebrews chapter 4 is that he is your high priest and he himself has been tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. So he knows what it's like to struggle against sin. But just as Jesus died on the cross to pay for it and is not under a death sentence anymore, so if you belong to Jesus, you are not condemned. As we think about the Reformation coming up, the the end of October is Reformation. Uh, We're celebrating 500 years from the date that Luther first uh, put his 95 theses on on the the door in uh, Wittenberg. And that's kind of what kicked off the whole Reformation and caused a, a return to Scripture. One of the biggest issues in the Reformation was, how can I know that I'm right with God? The biggest issue was, assurance of salvation. And Luther himself struggled with this. He would go to his high priest confessor in in the the Roman Catholic Church as a monk, and he would regularly confess all of these things, even even the tiniest little things. You know, maybe he confessed, you know, I snuck a cookie out of the abbey this week. I I don't know if they had that, but, but, but tiny ones. And his confessor finally said, Luther, just come back when you have something to confess. But see, he knew he wasn't right with God. He knew he stood condemned. And in the providence of God, in reading Scripture, he came to understand the Gospel. And the Gospel is that now there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and you have confessed that He is Savior and Lord and professed faith in Him, you have this treasure. This is your joy. This is our joy as a church. We aren't condemned. Now, as Paul has been saying, that doesn't mean we can just sin however we want. Uh, We don't just rack it up and say, well, I'm not condemned, so I'm just going to live however I want and, and do all these bad things. Absolutely not. But at the core of it, you will go to heaven and be with God forever. Because you are tethered to Jesus Christ. And so where Jesus is in the presence of God is where you will go. It will be when you die like that rubber band snaps closed and you come into the presence of God because Jesus is there. Second, this morning, in Christ we are set free from sin and death. We've already been saying this. But look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit has of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The application of the work of Christ comes through the Holy Spirit. As central as as Jesus Christ is to salvation and the accomplishment of it, the Holy Spirit is central to salvation and the application of it into our lives. It's funny here, I think Paul is having a little bit of fun with the word law. Look at what he says, for the law of the spirit of life. And then he says, for the law of sin and death. Typically, when Paul uses the word law, he's referring to the old covenant, the Mosaic law, what you might call the Torah, if you were translating the Hebrew uh, directly. He's talking uh, about the commands of God that that establish the boundaries by which people are to live by, but which none of us do live by. The Ten Commandments are law. 
But I think here he's, he's giving a little bit of play on the word law. It can mean, I think here, a principle, a, a standard or something that is going on. So for the law of the spirit of life, the principle, the, the thing of the spirit of life has set us free from what? From the law or the principle or the standard of sin and death. So he's not talking about law here in the mosaic sense, but he's kind of playing on the word law. Because the whole last chapter has been to show us how we are not under law anymore. Because the law was powerless, but rather stirred up sin. And so Paul is saying, you're not in that anymore. But here's what you do have. You have the law of the Spirit. Which sets us free from that law of sin, that law of death, that constant condemnation that we had, that enslavement that we had. To sin, we are set free. Uh, the law of the spirit of life has set us free. He's called here. The spirit is called the spirit of life because he's the one that communicates to us a new spiritual life, which we now have in Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings spiritual life. One of the one of the sad things, kind of in, in our day and age, when when people tend to use the word spiritual. Uh, we, we tend to mean sort of mystical. So people will say, you know, well, I'm not religious. You know, I don't go to church. I don't do church things. But they'll say, but I'm, but I'm spiritual. I have no idea what that means. Uh, you do yoga. You do meditation. I, I, I don't know. You think about things. Uh, I, I don't know. You might as well say I'm not religious. I'm philosophical. It, it sometimes means the same thing. But when the Bible uses spiritual, usually, not maybe in every case, but in, in many of the cases, and I dare say most of the cases, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about what the Holy Spirit does in us. So if we as believers are spiritual in any sense uh, of the word, it's, it's not about that sort of touchy-feely, I don't know how to really describe it. I'm not doing a good job. But that mystical side of things. It's about what the Spirit works in you. It's about what the Holy Spirit has done for you. So Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 and 15 that, that the Gospel is spiritually discerned. That we only understand it because we have the capital S, the Spirit. Spirit is not a, a euphemism for, for being a Jedi and using the Force. People in Star Wars are spiritual when they use the Force. But when, when the Bible talks about, we are talking about the Holy Spirit, this person who brings life and unites us to Jesus Christ. And this is what we have as a believer. Paul talks about it in this way, 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 6. That, that God has, quote, made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills. That's referring to the law. When you see the sentence of the law, it puts us under condemnation and brings death. But he says, but the spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit imparts life to those of us who are dead in our sins. He takes the life that Jesus has won 
in his resurrection up over sin and death. And he now applies it to you. He brings that life and light, shining it into your hearts. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Life is given to us. And so it is that by the Holy Spirit, we have been set free in Jesus Christ. It's no accident in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is the promise of the new covenant. The old covenant ministered death while the old covenant was good. And Paul even says that it was spiritual, right? It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Read Deuteronomy and Exodus. It is the word of God. But we aren't under that old covenant as the organizing principle of the people of God. He's put us in now a new covenant that removes the curse of sin. And we've been talking about over and over and over again in the Old Testament how God's people failed. And God said what? I will write my laws in your heart. I will put my spirit within you. I will take out that heart of stone that doesn't desire God. And I will put in you a heart of flesh, meaning something that's, that's tender and soft and delights in the things of God. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the new covenant. And so while I was enslaved to sin and death, I was under what Paul here calls the law of sin, the law of death, that, that principle that keeps me enslaved, that condemnation that I have, that sentence of death that is over me. Now, in Christ, I've been set free. Galatians 3.21 Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would have indeed been by the law. And so we have the Spirit who brings life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You are free. Forgive me for using this illusion, because it's not the best movie. But if you ever watched Braveheart, you know Mel Gibson, and he gets that blue paint on his face, and he goes out there as the Scottish warrior... And, and at the end, when they're, they're torturing him and killing him, what does he shout out? Freedom! Guys, this is what we have in Christ. And no matter how bad life gets, you know, how many struggles you have, trials, tribulations, nothing can take you away from this freedom that you have in Christ. Because He has put you in union with Christ and He has brought to you the Spirit that brings life. These are things that we have in Christ. Third this morning, the last thing that we have in Christ. In Christ, we have the judgment of sin and the fulfillment of the law. So we're going to unpack verses 3 and 4 here. But we see that the law was powerless to deliver us from sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, but by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh uh, and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So you remember Romans 7.5, While we were living in this flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in, the mem- in our members to bear fruit. What does that mean? As a sinner, I lived in sin. As a sinner, the, the fruit, the things that manifested in my life was sinfulness. And I was enslaved to it. And when all I had was the law, the command, do this, don't do that, I continued to sin. I disregarded it. I felt no compulsion to obey it. The law was powerless. The law was good. It was a gift from God. But it didn't solve the problem. In some ways, it made the problem worse. Because it told you how bad you were. And it told you the consequences. And it said to you, you stand condemned. But in and of itself, by itself, the command of God, don't do this, don't covet, serve me only, worship me, have no other gods before me. Those commands didn't save. Jesus Christ saves. And so we have, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. God sent His Son to deliver us from sin and death. God is the initiator of the salvation. And you'll see here in this passage the Trinity. God the Father sends God the Son. And now we have in us God the Spirit who brings life. Salvation from start to finish is the work of our triune God. Do you want to know why I am passionate about the sovereignty of God? That, that salvation from start to finish is, is completely His work? We, we sometimes uh, call that the doctrines of grace. That, that focus on God and not on me. I bring nothing to the table. You want to know why we should be passionate about that? Because we're Trinitarian. That there is one God who is three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And who do you not see in this passage doing work? Who do you not see in this passage bringing something to the table? Me. It's the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I would submit to you that the better we are at knowing God as a trinity, the more we will be giving Him glory, the more we will be driven to worship Him, and the more we will take that credit that we try to steal when it comes to what we have in God and Christ, and we will say, not I, Lord, but you. We believe in the power of God, the overwhelming 
surpassing grace of God, these, these wonderful doctrines that, again, uh, came to be rediscovered in the life of church history uh, at the Reformation because we're Trinitarian. There is one God in three eternal persons. For what God has done, for God has done, excuse me, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His Son. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here is a, a biblical doctrine that God shows His love for us. That God sent His Son for us. That, that has to be held in balance. That God is both the judge who condemns sin, but also God the Father is the one saying, I will show my love and send Christ. You see, sometimes what people do is they turn God into the bad guy, God the Father into the bad guy who simply judges sin, and Jesus is the good guy. God the Father is mean and nasty and cruel and likes nothing more than to judge sin. But here's this wonderful Jesus. Aren't we so glad that we came along in the New Testament uh, and Jesus shows us love where God doesn't? If I ever hear any of you say that, I'm going I'm, I'm to lose my top, I think. Uh, it's not how it works. Yes, God the Father is also the judge. But, but in that context of being the judge and the holy righteous one, who sends the Son? I mean, does, is Jesus up in heaven going, whoa, whoa, God, calm down, calm down. I'll go down there. I'll, I'll, I'll get this right. Don't worry. You know, kind of like maybe when one parent blows their top and the other, the other parent's like, that's, that's all right. I'll, I'll take care of it. You just go to your room and, you know, relax a little bit. Read a book and come back out in an hour or two. Take a nap. Is, is Jesus saying that to God the Father? No. The Father out of His love, sends the Son. Does God the Father and Jesus as well condemn sin? Yeah, absolutely. But does God the Father have and show love? Absolutely. Read Exodus 32-34. to God both judges sin and has wrath, but also extends grace and mercy. Why? Because He loves. And as we said in the psalm that we opened, He is a God of, of steadfast love, of unbending, covenant-keeping, faithful love. And so He sends His Son. God has done this. Ephesians 2, 4-6. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which He loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, Christ then dies in His body and the cross is the place where sin is condemned. Romans 8.3, the last half. By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So, God is the one who condemns the sin by pouring out His wrath for sin onto uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the propitiation, the place where the, the wrath of God is born and exhausted. But God sends the Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What does that mean? 
It means that Jesus Christ takes on human nature. He becomes completely human, but without sin. That's what the language of likeness means. So, so when we live in earthly bodies, our flesh is both physical and sinful. When God created Adam and Eve, their flesh, their bodies did not have sin. Were Adam and Eve truly human and without sin in those moments? Yes. Jesus Christ takes on true humanity, but not the sin which is common to all of us now after the fall. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden were truly human yet had not sinned, so also Jesus Christ comes in the likeness of sinful flesh. Meaning, He is truly human. He can die, but He Himself is not nor ever will be a sinner. So if Hebrews chapter 2.14 says this, Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He fully partook of flesh and blood. And it says, So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Ephesians 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Just as Adam was tempted in the garden, but didn't have sin till he actually disobeyed, so Jesus in his earthly life was innocent, pure, holy, did not have sin, and yet, because he was human, could be tempted. He had human physical weakness, not sinfulness, but weakness. He got tired. He needed to sleep. He got hungry. He needed to eat. He had anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane as he sweats drops of blood. This is the mystery of the gospel that the eternal Son of God who upholds creation by the word of his mighty power in his humanity, without giving up his divine nature, took on human form, took on flesh and blood, took on human weakness so that he could die and so that God could condemn sin in the flesh. Jesus Christ had flesh just like ours so that he could take the punishment that you and I deserve. In those moments on the cross, Christ had never sinned. But He bore the full weight of the guilt of our sins. Every condemnation that you and I rightly and justly deserve was poured out on Jesus in the cross of Christ. And He defeated it by dying and then rising again from the dead. And then the verse goes on in Romans 8, 4, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
the plan and purpose of God in Jesus Christ and through the working of the Holy Spirit is to fulfill these things in us. That these things might be fulfilled in us. It's actually a passive verb there. I don't think it means that we are the ones fulfilling them, but that God in His working in us fulfills them in us. There is a sense in in other Scriptures where we're rightly understood Jesus Christ is the one who perfectly obeys God. He keeps the law. Christ says, you know, don't think that I've come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. Why why is Jesus Christ on, on the eighth day circumcised as a little baby? Because it fulfills the law. He's born of a woman, born under the law, Galatians 4.4. 4. And so when I belong to Jesus, Jesus Christ gives me the gift of righteousness. The gift of the law being fulfilled. But even more than that, as if that wasn't enough, He puts the Holy Spirit in us and makes us a new creation so that we should be walking in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean and what does this not mean? It does not mean that any of us ever in this life perfectly obey God. Even on my best days, when I do something that's good, when I do something that's right, when I do something that's obedient to God, somewhere, somehow, I am still tainted by sin. I never have this moment in my life, this this millisecond in time where, where all of a sudden I did that perfect work of righteousness. I'm always tainted by my sin. My works are never going to be good enough in the eyes of God to, to bring myself into God's presence by my own strength. But part of the working of the grace of God is He do, does transform us. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that there is this process of growing where I do learn to obey more and more. I never reach perfection in this life. But the whole idea of growing in the Christian life is that there is a bearing of fruit. There are marks of the fruit of the Spirit that will continue to grow. And they are not perfect. And God never accepts me into heaven based on the fruit that I bring Him. It's always because of the work of Jesus Christ. And nevertheless, the Scriptures say, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the end. There should be in your daily life a growing, a walking, as Paul says in Galatians, a a keeping in step with the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit brings life and spiritual life, Holy Spirit life will look a certain way. It won't be the loud, charismatic stuff that you see today that people say, well, that's the Spirit. It'll be the simple things. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things that are all good. These things that we know that we should be doing. Whenever they manifest themselves in our life, however imperfectly as a Christian they will always be, it's because the Holy Spirit 
is there. It's because you have been united to Jesus Christ. There is more that we could say this morning. I was going to talk about how love fulfills the law. Paul says that in a number of different places. Um, I think it's it's a stark contrast to legalism and the rules when you actually love and love people and love sacrificially. That's the work of the Spirit. We'll end with this. The motivation for holy living is that I belong to Christ. Christ died for me. And He has given me the Holy Spirit. So you start with this acknowledgement, I have no condemnation. And, and rather than saying, well, that's it, I'll just live however I want. We see what God has done for us in Christ. And we see that He has given us the Holy Spirit. And, and let that be your fuel for fighting sin. You won't be condemned. God always forgives sin. But He's also imparted life in you. And He wants to continue to give you life in that struggle that you have with sin. What do we have in Christ? We have an equipping. We have spiritual power in the sense that God will work in us as we trust Him and pray to Him and fight that battle and resist hard. God will answer His prayers of giving the Holy Spirit And allowing us to walk in the ways of God. His ultimate goal is to conform you to bear the image of Jesus. What does Jesus look like in his moral character? That's what you will be like when you are raised from the dead. And until that day when you receive the fullness of eternal life, there's a constant battle and struggle and moving along. But there is a continual equipping from God through the Holy Spirit. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you today and we ask that you would uh, bless our time here. That you would use uh, this passage of Scripture even to, to pour out the Holy Spirit upon us. That we would be reminded that there is no now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we would rejoice in the work of Jesus Christ sent by God the Father so that sin was finally and fully condemned in the body of Christ. But that we would also marvel that the Holy Spirit is in us to impart and give life. We just thank you for your grace and your mercy in all of these things. Feed us through your word. Strengthen us. Build us up in the Holy Spirit. In your son's name we pray. Amen.